Scripture reading today is from John 16, 4 through 15, and I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because their ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Thank you, Derek, for reading the scripture this morning. Good to be here before you this morning. Um, you know, children can be known to be sneaky at times, right? Amen. Amen. Okay. Pa parents, how many of you have sneaky children? All right. Just so you know, that's hereditary. So <laughs> I'm just saying, if you want to blame anybody, yeah, children have been known to be sneaky, but parents can be as well. My mom was known to have this reputation. If she wanted to do something, she would just do it. And then later we'd kind of look around and say, when did that happen? Now I know I've shared this story before, and this isn't a real great picture, but this is out in front of my house. And actually, uh, Jill has repaired it and, and reformed it. Um, uh, just last year, but uh, I was going to take another picture this week, but we kind of had a snowstorm and uh, kind of ruined it. Um, but anyway, um, the, this, the, the year after we built our house, just straight down on County Road 11, Mom was out doing some yard work, helping us out. And I noticed her doing something down by the road in the ditch. Didn't really think anything about it, but as usual, a year or two later, I see this. And I thought, when did that happen? How did these get here? Then it came to me, Mom. She was at it again. So every spring, I get to see and anticipate the cross coming up out of the ground. And I think about her, and I think about Jesus and what he did for us. You know, Jesus was hung on the cross to die, but he's no longer on the cross. He was laid in a tomb, but the tomb is empty. 
Because Jesus rose again and conquered sin and death and lives among us today. Three weeks ago, we celebrated Jesus' triumph over death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Today is the third Sunday we continue our focus on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, Doug talked about how the resurrection changes everything, that without it, we are not saved. Last week, Wes spoke to us about the power of the resurrection. This Sunday, we're going to take a look back before the crucifixion and look at how Jesus revealed to his disciples that he has a succession plan to prepare them and for us for life after his departure. Every great leader, and Jesus being the greatest of all, looks beyond themselves and points to something even bigger. Great leaders do this for a number of reasons. One, they know that it's not about them. Second, they know their cause is bigger than them. And three, they know that they are a limiting factor. We'll come back to these later. But first, let's look at today's passage. And actually, I want to start a few verses before the passages or the passage that Derek read. This is a part of Jesus' farewell discourse starting in John chapter 14. So I want to read the first three verses. We're going to go through these just a couple verses at a time and just make a few uh, comments. Uh, John 16, 1 to 3 says, I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who will kill you will think that by doing so, they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. So verse 2 says they. Who is they? The they in, the ver in, in verse 2 refers to those in charge. The powers of the day. They will attack those who they see as a challenge to their power. And when they attack, they will claim that it is for good. Evil always lies and claims that it is good. We see this today. In verse 3, Jesus declares that the reason for doing this is quite simple. They don't know God or Jesus. Heed these words today, brothers and sisters. Nothing has changed. The powers of today are no different. They will lie, cheat, steal, attack, whatever they think they must do to remain, retain their power because they don't know God. Verse 4, but I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. We see here that the reason for Jesus telling them this is not to discourage them, not to add to their present sorrow or reveal how they might avoid it even. It was so when it happens... They will remember that Jesus told them. They will not be surprised or caught off guard. They will be prepared. Verses 5 to 7. But now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask, where are you going? 
But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I will tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus tells his disciples that it is good for them, to their advantage for them, to, for him to leave. Now this seems very strange. How can this be that it's to their advantage, to our advantage, to, for Jesus to leave? How can Jesus, the Son of God, the greatest leader, how can Jesus going away be a good thing? Well, it's a good thing because he tells us that he's not just going away. He's not just vanishing, never to be seen again. Jesus was going to the Father for a purpose. As a part of a plan. Jesus, with comforting words and encouragement, explains, we are not going to be left alone. There was a plan, a succession plan, where Christ going, the advocate was coming. This is indeed good news. Okay, verses 8 to 11. And when the advocate comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. So Jesus ups the ante here with the powers of the world. The advocate who is coming will expose the world, the world's lies, and prove them wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. The world made Jesus out to be a sinner, a liar, but the truth will be revealed. Of course, this won't go over well with the world, as Jesus already pointed out. The world judged Jesus and convicted him. But we know that's not the end of the story. Verses 12 to 15. I still may have, or I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the, all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So this is the fifth and final saying in what is referred to as Jesus' farewell discourse, as I had talked about earlier, as I mentioned earlier starting in John chapter 14. These are both parting words of Jesus to his followers and the present words of the risen Lord to his church in the world today, to us. Notice that Jesus speaks in the present tense because the message of the now risen Lord are addressed to them at that time and to us today. Also notice that the Spirit is not sent to all the world but to the disciples only. It's a key point. So to summarize today's passage, we learn a number of things about the promise of the coming Holy Spirit at that time. First, Jesus will ask God to send the spirit of truth as another counselor to be with the disciples forever. The spirit will be sent as a gift from God. 
Second point, the Holy Spirit will be sent to God, from God in Jesus' name to teach and to remind the disciples and us today of Jesus' world words. Three, the Spirit will bear witness to Jesus. The Spirit will not come to erect a new kingdom, but to advance and establish the same kingdom Christ had erected, to maintain the same interest and pursue the same design. Those that pretend to claim the Holy Spirit is saying something new or different than what God has already established are liars. Four, upon his departure, Jesus will send the counselor to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The function of the Holy Spirit is to provide the church with a true interpretation of the life the death, and the uh, resurrection of Jesus. It can be difficult to have a good grasp on the Holy Spirit, and per perhaps that's part of the point. Scripture has many different names for the Holy Spirit. I did an online search uh, this past week in preparation and found there are 32 different names used, at least one website says 32 different names used in the Bible for the Holy Spirit, each giving us a partial view of the whole, a glimpse of the entire essence of God. Today's passage uses the word advocate for the Holy Spirit. Many translations use the more archaic term paraclete, a term the disciples would have been familiar with, a term that is much more descriptive of what Jesus was trying to convey to them about who the Holy Spirit is that's going to be coming. So, what is a paraclete? It is not an exotic tropical bird. <laughs> I knew you were thinking it. No, that's not what a paraclete is. A paraclete was a mediator, a comforter, and a counselor. Someone who instructed, assisted, and entered pleas on behalf of someone else. The comfort provided, it wasn't just a, a put your arm around their shoulder comfort, but the comfort was from sound advice and direction, not mere condolence. Now, while these are all things Jesus already provided to his disciples, he was going away. He was going to the Father. And so the paraclete, the mediator, comforter, counselor, was coming. A question we might wonder at this point is, why did Jesus need to go? And he says to his disciples, it's, it's not only is he going, it's to their advantage. But what would be the advantage? Is the Holy Spirit merely a consolation prize to us because Jesus is leaving that we lost Jesus? Well, Jesus addressed this in verse 7. What is the advantage? Well, first, the Holy Spirit will continually work in increasing our understanding, the understanding of his believers. As the Holy Spirit moves within us, moves among us, believers will have an ever-deepening comprehension of God, a deeper perception, thankfulness, and intimacy with him, a deeper understanding and appreciation and relationship 
with Jesus. Second, the spirit of truth will give convincing testimony to the world on behalf of Jesus. And third, the spirit operates through the real lives of all of us, his followers, to bear witness through you and me. While we are directed to spread the gospel, the Spirit testifies for us. The job of convincing others of the truth of the gospel is not ours at all. The real work of Christian testimony is the task of the Holy Spirit. We are, however, supposed to participate as a result of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are called to participate in the succession plan that Jesus laid out. Acts 1.8 says to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is a tremendous, enormous task for us, one that seems maybe overwhelming to us at times. How can this be accomplished? I stated earlier that every great leader knows that they are a limiting factor. When we face loss, when a pastor or leader at work retires, when we lose a loved one, a spouse, a parent, a child, a close friend, we often ask the question, what now? Where do we go from here? The disciples were soon we're soon to be faced with this exact question. Every great leader also has a succession plan to not only carry forward their vision, but to expand beyond what they could do by themselves. Jesus, the greatest leader, had a plan and was now revealing it to his disciples. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he would send his disciples to the ends of the earth to be his witnesses. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? We receive the power of the Holy Spirit along with instruction, guidance, and advice to show us the way. Everything we need, right? Easy. Well, as Jesus pointed out to his disciples, the powers of this world will hate us and do everything they can to prevent us from carrying out this task. Satan will tell lies to confuse us and turn us away from the truth. Misguided church leaders, even, will speak heresies, blessing every new notion and manner of behavior, claiming the new teachings are from the Holy Spirit. These claims in our culture today fall into three main ditches. First ditch is, how can we know the truth? With the, with the uh, assumption is, well, um, so we shouldn't even try. Everything is good if we just say it's good, right? Second ditch. Well, you know, we've been wrong before with the uh, insinuation that, so we just need to stop proclaiming what we believe is true. The third ditch is, 
Oh, I've heard something new from the Holy Spirit to take us in a different direction. You know what? These are all ditches that we can, that, that can sound really good sometimes. And we, the people that, that proclaim these um, are trying to, trying to navigate this world and what it means. But these can also cause us to throw up our hands just for some and wonder, how can we ever know what is true and what is false? when these things are being thrown at us. So, how will we know? Well, it's not easy, but we do have some very powerful tools at our disposal. First, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is not here to establish something new or different that opposes what God has already established. So we need to know the essence of God. We need to know what God has established. The Holy Spirit will not speak independently, but will reveal only that which comes from God, as we read in the passage already this morning. We can and must test what we hear through Scripture. We must ask the question, are the actions and words in accordance with what we already know about God? This is not an easy test, test to apply, but it does provide us with a measure of defense against spirits not from God. Second, we learn that from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit, will be consistent with what Jesus teaches as well, similar to what we I talked about with, with Scripture and God. Uh, no new foundation will ever be laid. Jesus already laid the foundation. There will be no new foundations. Efforts to redefine Christianity are to be tested in terms of continuity with the teachings of Jesus. Third, the work of the Holy Spirit draws believers, all of us, into the mix. God in Christ reached out to humanity, and now the Holy Spirit continues that work of revelation and saving love. I want to close with some practical applications for what we, uh, for, for us as we participate in the succession plan of Jesus that he gave us, that he gave his disciples. Practical applications. First, seek the Lord with all you've got. Seek his wisdom and his understanding those who seek him and put our own wisdom and our own understandings behind us will have a much better, will have a leg up. Those who seek him will be given strength and understanding and guidance. The second thing we do is to ask God to send his Holy Spirit to dwell inside you. Ask God for the Holy Spirit and then receive the gift. Not everyone receives the Holy Spirit, as Jesus pointed out to his disciples. The Holy Spirit is, is uh, poured out on those who trust in Jesus, not the world. In order to receive the Holy Spirit, we must trust in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus means we turn over our lives, our decisions to him, because we are confident that he is 
good, that he will guide us and direct us and not cause us harm, that he has plans for us that are far greater that we, than we can even plan or imagine. Just think about how the disciples trusted Jesus. They left everything and followed him. They learned from him and then carried out his directions after he was taken up. A third application, encourage others and accept encouragement. Satan and the powers of this world do not want us to succeed. They will attack and try to discourage us so that we must so we must always encourage each other to hold fast and be strong it doesn't take much to offer words of encouragement i tell you this morning i walk it's amazing i don't know, I, I rarely know who's preaching on a sunday morning i mean we know it's Wes or sungbin or doug or or whatever and it was amazing how many of you knew that I was preaching this morning and offered encouragement this morning. So thank you for that. Just those little words of encouragement here and there. Um, doesn't seem like much, but that's what we must do because we're going to have people that are going to attack and discourage us. So in, in our um, community life together, um, it's important that we encourage each other and hold fast and be strong. It is our community life together that witnesses to Jesus uh, to the world. Love and unity are our witness. Fourth application, pray, worship, fast. Through these things, God will reveal truth to us and help others identify what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. Finally, I want to close with a story from our last Sunday's Sunday school lesson. Um, and many of you may, may have talked about it in your Sunday school classes, but boy, it just fits in so strong here. So I want to read, this, uh, read the story. So William Carey was called by many as the father of uh, modern missions and lived in the 18th, late 18th to early 19th century. Through the reading and study of God's word, Carey and his close friend, Andrew Fuller, came to the conviction that every church and every believer were commissioned by Jesus to share the gospel. Carey acted on this conviction by embarking to India. Before leaving, Carey told his friend Fuller, I will go down into the mine, but remember that you must hold the rope. You know, we don't have to be a leader of some big program or the president of some multi-million dollar charity organization. There are many opportunities just right among us, just within our midst, right here this Sunday morning, to support those who are ministering to others. Just look around and offer that support to them. We just need to look around and find a rope to hold. Yeah, we need to get on the front line sometimes, that's true, but I think sometimes we're sucked into that lie that if we're not on the front lines, if we're not out there uh, doing it uh, and, and, and sharing the gospel on the streets, that we're really not doing the mission uh, of the, the Great Commission. 
we can support others financially, we can support others through prayer, or simply by, as I already said, words of encouragement. And in doing so, we will be participating in the great succession plan of Jesus, and we will be witnesses in the world for him. I invite Rolene to come up for the closing song. Uh, Gentle Shepherd, come and lead us.